tuning in to Doing It Differently, a podcast about creative careers in medicine. I'm your host, Jenny Chang, and today our invited guest is Dr. Arjun Kaushik, who is the CEO and co-founder of the award-winning medical device company, Vital Trace. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that the production of this podcast takes place on Wajak Noongar land, and I would like to pay my respects to elders past and present, and acknowledge the continuing culture and contributions made to the life and well-being of this land of opportunity. Please join me in warmly welcoming Dr. Arjun Kaushik to the podcast. So, Arjun, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about your work currently? Sure. So, I currently work in a startup that I founded with another gentleman called Dr. Michael Chalnor, who's a nanoscientist that I met at a Stanford biodesign course that was actually run out of Harry Perkins. And we're working on a medical device. We've been lucky enough to understand that the way we monitor childbirth, there are a lot of problems with that. And we figured that we could create a device that would make monitoring a lot more accurate. Now I get to work with 24 other really, really smart people in the company that the two of us built. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about this device? I know a lot of our listeners are intrigued. Yeah, a lot of you guys will remember from med school, hopefully, the, the CTG, the cardiotocograph. Um, and I had to try and maybe even interpret it and been pretty flummoxed by that. And the, the funny thing is, junior doctors, even registrars, and in fact, even obstetricians themselves, we know that there's a high rate of inter-observer variability in how you interpret the CTG. And inherent to the CTG, there's a, a pretty um, significant problem with its specificity, a high false positive rate. So all of these lead to both issues with sensitivity in diagnosing fetal hypoxia. Um, so sometimes we delay diagnosis of fetal hypoxia, um, or we might even miss it, and babies can have neurodevelopmental sequelae. And that can happen rarely and quite seriously. And then on the other side of the coin, you also get all these unnecessary cesarean sections happening on mothers uh, to save babies that were healthy the whole time. Mm -hmm. So like, what's the solution there? Well, we basically figured out that fetal lactate, so lactic acid, if we can find that out in a pretty prompt and even better continuous manner, we can increase the sensitivity and specificity of diagnosis. So we've created um, essentially a really advanced biosensor that fits um, onto a, a scalp electrode. So you just put that on the baby's head via the birth canal. Mm -hmm. And then this sensor is very clever. It can tell you continuously what the lactate of the baby is. So no need to do a blood sample. It just tells you. And so that way, obstetricians are basically always assured that, okay, lactate's low, baby's fine. Mm -hmm. Lactate's going up and it's starting to really creep up now. Okay, something's going on. And now I can actually prognosticate. I can uh, try an intervention. I get real-time feedback if that worked or not. So mm -hmm. it's a whole different paradigm to the current standard of care. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm looking at squiggly lines <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out is that deceleration delayed or is it appropriate? What's going on? Um, it's a very interpretive sort of thing. And we're going to, you know, a very numerical, mm. far more objective 
way of doing things. Mm -hmm. So that's really exciting because not only could that be used in fetal monitoring, but a continuous biochemical sensor could one day, you know, we could have continuous FBC sensors that gives you wow. your hemoglobin <laughs> and all the other things, you know, one day you'll, you'll walk into the hospital and we'll put a patch on you mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll get a graph of all the things that are in your FBC and the UEC and LFTs and we'll be able to see that creatinine creeping up and that <laughs> CRP creeping up, mm -hmm. white cells creeping up. So you, and you'll say, ah, oh, that pattern is sepsis. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than a once a day blood test. So mm. that's, that's the world I get to work in at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like the world that you're working in is really pushing the boundaries and changing the way that we look at the numbers and the chemicals in medicine, and that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes in medical school we forget that the research that we're studying, or what we're studying is kind of, it's not as, I guess, like pushing boundaries as what's new and what's happening yeah. now. Yeah. And where did your idea come from? How did it begin? Um, so, like I said, I met Michael, my co-founder, at this Stanford Biodesign course. Mm -hmm. So that was the first year it ran, and now it's called Perth Biodesign. So mm -hmm. if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I think I totally recommend you look it up and maybe even do the course. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, it's a process that was developed over in Stanford where you go out into the hospitals, you ask a bunch of questions like, you know, simple ones that challenge the status quo. Like, why do we use an ECG? Is there a better way to diagnose, you know, an MI, for example? Mm. Um, and you ask these kinds of questions and you, you try and identify really significant pain points that are unsolved in the medical industry. And then you go through a process of, if maybe you find 200 different pain points, you try and figure out which one would people pay for you to solve which one's technically feasible which one has a you know a, a navigable route through the regulatory process so you know you've got fda and the tga so it's, it's really like you're, you're staring into a crystal ball trying to think well i'm gonna spend my life on something this problem i'm gonna make sure that there's like a good route to seeing something <laughs> actually hit the market mm -hmm. so that was what that course taught us and the way it was uh, we found this project is one of our team members went into the hospital and saw two midwives arguing about what the CTG meant. Really? Yeah, like mm -hmm. and right in front of the mother. The mother was like, is my baby safe? And, mm -hmm. the, you know, like I said, they, they were like, well, what does that mean? Are you sure? I don't think that means what you think it. And, and, and that happens every day. I have obstetricians text me every month. One of them saying, you know, at 4 a.m., I wish I had your advice like mm. second stage of labor couldn't figure out what was going on we just had to do a caesar and the baby came out pink and crying so yeah that was that moment where we realized there was something seriously wrong with the way we do childbirth monitoring which is the same way we've been doing it since the 1960s 1960s yeah that's that's when it was um invented by Hewlett-Packard, and it pretty much resembles a printer, mm -hmm. the CTG. If you, if, if you look at it, it's like, it's pretty close to a printer. <laughs> uh, so your grandma gave birth pretty much the same way as some of your contemporaries, people wow. you see now. So mm -hmm. obviously many things have changed, and obstetricians will say, we've uh, advanced a lot of things, mm -hmm. but the fundamental technology we use has not changed. Mm. And to me, 
A 70% false positive rate is pretty criminal. I think mm -hmm. we can do better than that. Were there any, I guess, very memorable challenges that you faced on your journey so far? How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, once we realised that we wanted to measure lactate continuously, like we had spoken to enough clinicians by that stage, this was early on, and I remember Jonathan Morris, who now works with us, said, if you ask any obstetrician to choose between the CTG or getting a lactate every half an hour, they would pick the lactate. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, well, we need to give it to you better than even half an hour. So we, we said, okay, let's... We were too stupid and young to realise how ambitious and difficult it would be to take something that you typically need a blood sample and a lab to determine the result and do it at the bedside continuously. Like, it's a ridiculous idea. <laughs> but nevertheless, we went about trying to figure out how to do that. And I think, you know, there's some really great moments where we had nothing except myself, Michael, we, we were just in my bedroom looking mm -hmm. up patents. Really? Yeah, late at night. And <laughs> I remember us finding patents of a company that seemingly had the technology to be able to do this. And we thought, like, we're not going to be able to do this on our own. Why don't we call them up and see if they want to partner with us? Because, you know, they're not doing fetal monitoring, but looking at their patents, it looks like they could. And just haven't had that idea. So yeah, I, it was pretty memorable. I remember the first cold call at like one in the morning because it was the US. Mm -hmm. You had to wait till they would wake up. Mm -hmm. And like sort of, you know, kind of shaking a little bit, <laughs> trying to get ready to call this person. And the guy picked up and thankfully he was a motor mouth, so we couldn't shut him up. That was great. Oh, what a plot <laughs> twist. Yeah, yeah he, he, and by the end of the call, he was super excited about our idea, mm -hmm. and he wanted to partner with us, and eventually he almost wanted to acquire or hire us, mm -hmm. and it's just two guys out of our bedroom, right? Right, yeah. Um, and then his company kind of fell apart, and so we had a, you know this big disappointment of like, we were going to do this thing, mm -hmm. and then... Mm -hmm fell apart and that happened not once it happened twice oh no way and then mm -hmm. on our third attempt to partner with somebody mm -hmm. it stuck mm -hmm. and it thank god because it turned out to be the right technology mm. so it's pretty interesting you know you go through this sort of iterative process and you have these you perceive them as failures or real setbacks but often those are the little nudges that get you to actually where you want to be so we have this thing that we say to all of our staff like, and it comes from a, a stoic philosophy book by Ryan Holiday. Mm. So you're nodding your head, you, you're familiar with Ryan yeah, Holiday? Yeah, yeah, I read a couple of his books. I read Ego is the Enemy, Obstacle Obst is the Way. Obstacle is the Way. Yes. That, that is, that's what I was going to say is Obstacle <laughs> mm -hmm. is the Way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, somewhere in the obstacle that you're facing right now, mm. at the very least... It is an opportunity to practice some sort of virtue, be it patience or an opportunity to grow. But sometimes that barrier is causing you to take a right or a left turn and then suddenly you're in a new realm where you're actually, wow, then you can, you can mm -hmm. find mm -hmm. your right path. Mm -hmm. But had that barrier not been there, you never would have found yourself in that situation. That's right. Ego is the enemy, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think every doctor or anyone <laughs> in their career 
He's at the early part, should read that book. Mm, 100% I, I learned a lot about how to be a better doctor from that book. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, how fascinating. So it seems like, it seems like obviously in any startup world and in entrepreneurship, there are mountains and mountains of obstacles. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, each obstacle is a lesson. It, it goes beyond that. Like every moment you're doing anything, mm -hmm. if you can find a way to like learn from that, even this right now, and I'm sure there's something I'm going to learn today, mm -hmm. be it from you or, mm -hmm. you know, there's something you've done well that I might think, well, she did that really well, like, I'll take that. So I think it's not just the obstacles. I think if you can find a way to make every interaction you have a learning point, you, you massively, like, you 10x, 20, 30x your ability to progress fast. Mm -hmm. But it takes that kind of application. You've got to be like, looking for the lessons mm -hmm. so in startup you have no tutor there's no set path so you have to always be looking about how you can learn you you're always trying to triangulate the right path because no one knows what it is so you, you've always got to try and figure it out so mm -hmm. i think that's it's probably a good motto for life really like mm -hmm. be a forever student yes yes <laughs> yeah. definitely i think it's not just the studying but it's also like the mindset the perspective that people apply mm -hmm. mm. if you think about it like as a junior doctor you're basically just getting paid to be paid, paid to learn mm -hmm. you're like realistically not as useful as you could be <laughs> especially as an intern <laughs> you're seriously like you're learning how to be a doctor still mm -hmm. you're just getting paid mm -hmm. um, so if you think about it that way it's a pretty amazing job and when did your interest in startups begin? Um, you know what, honestly, Jenny, uh, I, I, I fell into this. Really? Like, I did not think I would be doing a medical device. Mm -hmm. um, my background is I spent a lot of time working in sustainable development projects. So mm -hmm. I think I started volunteering when I was 12 or 13. I don't think you really know who you are at that point, so oh, I was just yeah. doing what I like to do. Mm -hmm. And I just found I ended up doing that a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ended up working in hospitals and other NGOs mm -hmm. overseas and, and in Australia. So I think that's why I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and my dream was always to you know, end up working in sustainable development as a doctor for the Gates Foundation or WHO or something like that. Um, but I realized that there was a bit of a limitation on how much impact you could have if you use the sort of funding model of donations and um, non-for-profit mm -hmm. sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you create a business that its business is to, happens to do good, you can leverage all the great things about socially directed capitalism mm -hmm. in the right way. You know, you can, you can, they call it, there's this term scaling, right? So it's like manufacturing for scale or scaling a company is about taking something from small volume and expanding it out. So what if you could scale impact? So I can't, I can't be a doctor to a million people or a billion people, but I could create a device that hopefully helps a billion people. And that really appealed to me. Mm -hmm. So I started looking for like how I could do that and then again never thought it would be a device. 
I thought maybe I'd you know end up doing something entrepreneurial some somehow else I probably could have just as easily done something else that addressed that same need so yeah and maybe I will after <laughs> this <laughs> yeah so yeah do you have any advice for our listeners for how to refine and find your purpose mm, it's a good question well okay look a lesson from my life is before I knew what I wanted to do I just did a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and I found myself doing certain things that could be grouped under one category and eventually they coalesced into like I really like doing this this gives me meaning mm-hmm. so I think for people who don't know what they want to do just do a lot of things <laughs> find out oh th- that one that was really rewarding I actually like that and eventually you'll start to figure out why that was rewarding just keep doing that and then one of them will stick you know one of them will you know like I don't think you can necessarily design your life like I'm such a good example I fell into that thing mm-hmm. but that thing fulfilled my why and once I was honest with myself about why I exist mm-hmm. then I was able to say you know yes I fell into this medical device project but why am I still doing it why do I keep doing it well it's because it it fulfills my why mm. so I guess to quote Simon Sinek if you've out of him start with why mm-hmm. if you don't know what you're here for then you know it's hard and, and it's you know it's a good enough project to just try and figure out what you're here for mm-hmm. that's probably the first step mm-hmm. and then do lots of things and one of them will stick you know mm-hmm. like one of them it will feel natural one of my own mentors from this time I was like an RMO trying to work I was doing both vital trace the company and being and I remember just before I stepped up to being a reg and I asked him as Chan Chia hematologist at Charles actually um I said to him like how do I decide what I do and he said life has a funny way of making the decision for you and it happened that way it's like it became clear we raised money mm-hmm. and I knew medicine could wait I could come back and I and I would love to come back to medicine but the startup was here and now and and it had to go right now and it mm-hmm. it was an easy decision by that point. Mhm. So I, yeah, I guess that's another piece of advice is as much as you think you can plan and be the architect of it, sometimes you just need to let life make that decision for you. Mhm. But you got to get into things. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to start them. Mhm. So. Expand horizons otherwise we'll never know what's out there. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It seems like too often like in studies we're so focused on trying to meet deadlines or meet expectations that we don't realize what's out there. Yes, yes. you've got to get yourself into <laughs> a bit of trouble. And <laughs> I think this is the first time in my life that I've only done one thing. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As in like work or study wise. Mhm. I've always been doing this plus this on the side. Mm. So, I don't know. What's the lesson there? Have side hustles. And then one day the side hustle will become the main hustle. Yes, I love that. That's, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that is something that will even, resonate. Even if it's hiking or mm-hmm. painting or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. They're good to have. Yeah, and I think a doctor once told me that that comes under the importance of like nurturing yourself mm-hmm. because everyone is like a family member, a sibling, a relative, someone's friend, a mm-hmm. doctor to someone. 
but there's also like the core of who you are and that needs to be nurtured yeah yeah and it sounds like your journey has been a very amazing story in tribute to that do you have a side hustle or something <laughs> you're trying to nurture um i think when you said that this is the first time you've only done one thing mm. it made me realize that i have also only done multiple things <laughs> yeah. and i look forward to the day that maybe i'll commit to one thing Mm -hmm. um, my side hustles, apart from study, I've always worked on the side, of, like engaged in volunteering on the side, or mm -hmm. done committees, the usual student life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Podcasts now. Yes, podcasts now. <laughs> Who knows what will be next? Yeah. So, yeah, and, it, and you're right. I think that's the only way that we can find what's truly, like, interesting or, like, really burns, like, mm -hmm. a passion yeah. in ourselves. Steve Jobs has an amazing speech where he says, you can only connect the dots retrospectively mm. and he talks about how he in his life he did all these random things that had nothing to do with what he thought his main goal was <laughs> uh, he took this course in calligraphy for example he dropped out of uni and just took took subjects in uni but without doing it towards a degree and he did a calligraphy one which he never would have done if he had continued on his major and when he decided to design the you know the fonts for apple he used all the calligraphy stuff he had learned. No way. And he's like, you never know all the stuff you're going to, you know, all that thing you did here, thing you did there. Mm. Somehow those coalesce into this like tool belt of things and there'll be a job or something out there for you that uses all of those things. Mm -hmm. But you don't know until that point and then you're like, ah, oh, all of those things led me to this. Mm -hmm. So again, do stuff, mm -hmm. do lots of other stuff. Love it. Very mm -hmm. insightful. Mm -hmm. Should watch that video by the way. I think mm -hmm. it's his commencement speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Now that brings us to some rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. So I'll be asking these questions every episode to every interviewee, and hopefully, all these pearls of wisdom will be summarized cool. um, in a couple of minutes. Um, are you ready, Arjun? I'll try. Okay, so rapid fire question number one What is the most memorable moment in your work so far? Probably raising the Series A, the, the last investment we just we just got. That was like a license to really make a good go of it. Yeah. Wow, huge congratulations mm -hmm. on that. Question number two, any regrets that come to mind? Mm. Fi look, finding balance between work and this passion and my relationships is tricky. Mm -hmm. And so I'm spending a lot more time trying to be more balanced, but there's been definitely times when I've got that balance wrong mm -hmm. and not been as good a friend as I could have been, not been as good as a son as I could have been. But I don't know if I regret those things. I think it, it's just me learning, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. probably no, mm -hmm. <laughs> probably there are things I regret mm -hmm. at the moment, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Question number three, a book that has changed your life. Ego is the Enemy, mm -hmm. big one. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not even joking that it's not a coincidence that mm -hmm. that really was a monumental one. Principles by Ray Dalio. It's almost like an overarching book under which many books fit into the principles that he talks about. Mm. Um, so it's like the grandfather of all the other books that I read. <laughs> yeah, so that's, a, that's an amazing book as well. Mm -hmm. um, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. These mm -hmm. are great books. So yeah. 
It sounds like we could do a whole episode on just book recommendations at this point. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No point in reinventing the wheel mm-hmm. when you can learn from the best. That's so. true. Mm-hmm. And lastly, currently, what are you feeling gratitude for? My team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they are just such a great bunch of people to work with. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they seem to allow me to lead them. And that's good, good fun. It's a really, you know, huge privilege to be able to work with them, for them to, in some senses, look up to me, to listen to me. So that's such a, that's like a real privilege and responsibility that, you know, it it really drives me to take what I'm doing seriously and make sure I do a good job of it. And, um, but also it's just so much fun, you know, Mm -hmm. to try and work you know, you have to imagine these people have bought into my dream and Michael's dream. So they're helping make our dreams come true. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Arjun, for your time and telling us the story. I'm sure our listeners have learned so many, many pearls of wisdom from you. Yeah. Um, and it's very exciting to see what will be in the future on the horizon. Mm, yeah, and you too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, good luck on your journey too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Doing It Differently, a podcast developed by the Medical Education Unit at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital in Perth, Western Australia, led by Dr. Fiona Lake and hosted by me, Jenny Chang. I hope this conversation has sparked an interest in creative careers in medicine for you. Until next time.